Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Think about all the things that might lead to anxiety in your life. Of, of all that list, if you could say, oh, a virus or the economy or a hurricane or, you know, all these things that would go on in the world, I would, I would argue that at the end of the day, the thing that most leads to us being anxious and afraid is, about, is relationships. Like, even those other things, a virus, economy, whatever, those are about relationships as well. The loss of relationship or the, the, the breakdown of relationship. Uh, relationships are kind of where it's at. And relationships drive anxiety for us probably more than anything else in the world. And, and because of that, we get into this space where we start cutting people off. We go like, oh, that this person's a, they make me anxious, or as we say, like they, they're a hater or something like that. We go, oh, I should cut these off. In fact, a guy named Joshua Coleman wrote about this trend. He wrote a book called Rules of Estrangement. And he talked about this trend of especially young adults kind of cut, following the lead of Reddit and, and other sort of YouTube sensation and bloggers and people out there. there there's kind of this, this uh, thing out there where young adults are being encouraged, you know, you should cut off your parents. And they're, and they're told things like, you don't owe your parents anything, or your first obligation is to you and your happiness, which is, I mean, I get it. Um, as a parent of young adults, I don't want them to think that they owe me a bunch of things, but I don't love the, the cultural moment of this idea that we should cut people off. In fact, it strikes me as a very American thing. I mean, we are, we're a country literally founded on cutting some other people off and being estranged from our, you know, older relatives over across the pond. So I kind of get it, but it is a weird cultural thing that we have here in the West that we just cut people off in relationship. Uh, I, and I didn't realize how cultural it was until a couple months ago. I was taking a class online on family systems theory, and I uh, was in this breakout group, and uh, several people in the group were talking about how they were estranged from some member of their family. They had... They hadn't talked to their sister in a year or their mom or their brother or somebody like there was this cut off of relationship a brokenness of relationship and one lady spoke up and she was a second generation Chinese immigrant and and she spoke up and she said I'm a little surprised how much you all have cut off your family like in my culture we just don't do that like we may have a problem with our mom or whatever, but we would never just cut them off. Like, it's, that's a really weird thing. And, I, and it occurred to me, I was like, oh, yeah, this is very American of us or maybe Western of us that, that we just cut people off when we think they're not getting with the program or they're not helping us. Um, and so I want to talk about that a little bit today. Last week, in this whole series about being anxious and afraid and trying to help us not be anxious, to be a non-anxious presence in the world, uh, last week we talked about part of the key to that is to be self-differentiated, to stand up for yourself and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is what I, what I believe. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's part of it, to be able to stand up and articulate uh, who, who you are. But it is possible to take that too far, to draw such hard lines that you cut people off. To stand up and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and I don't care if you don't like it. Half of that's good. This is who I am, this is what I'm about. But the I don't care if you don't like it part is where the problem starts to creep in. And probably you've experienced that with, with people. Um, it is very easy to take a stand and then become a narcissistic monster instead of remaining connected to people. So how do we stay, 
How do we take a stand for who we are in the midst of pressure around us to conform to be something, but to stand and be self-differentiated, how do we do that in a way where we, re- where we remain emotionally connected to other people? And I think this is important because anyone, anyone can be taught and trained how to stand up for yourself. Anyone can learn to take a swing at the bully in the schoolyard. But to learn how to stay connected to those you love, even if it's tough, that's a, that's a whole other skill. To be non-anxious, we can't fall into the trap of just cutting off everybody who brings a little bit of pressure and anxiety in our lives. We, ha- we have to uh, figure out a way to remain connected. Um, so looking at Jesus as a model here, um, I, I think it's interesting to look at different encounters that he has with people in the Gospels. Because Jesus had a lot of friends, had a lot of relationships, um, and everywhere he went, people wanted to be around him, and there was an incredible amount of pressure he must have felt going around northern Israel in the first century of everybody pinning their hopes and dreams and expectations on him and wanting him to be something, in some cases, wanting them to heal, him, heal them or whatever. Uh, there was a lot of pressure Jesus must have felt to become like something for other people, to conform to their way of being and not stand up for himself. And yet, uh, regularly, you see Jesus take a stand and say some pretty sharp things and then let people kind of deal with it. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm always surprised when I read the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm always surprised to the degree that when people, um, that, that people would come to Jesus for something and they would walk away from him disappointed. Like it just doesn't, doesn't quite work out. That isn't to say that Jesus is disappointing But that is to say sometimes we come with our expectations of the way it's supposed to be, and he doesn't necessarily give us exactly what we want the way we want it. And there's a lot of challenge with that. I I, I believe Jesus is the hope of the world. I think he's the savior of the world. I think he's God in in the flesh. I think uh, when we come to him in our brokenness, he can fix what is broken. But it doesn't mean we're going to always like the way it goes, and it doesn't mean it's it's always easy. There's a lot of challenge that, that that goes into that. So let me show you a small example of maybe a, a disappointment where Jesus takes a stand and it doesn't necessarily go well. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to define uh, what is to come for him. And he says this, Matthew 16, 21, he says, from that time, he's talking to his disciples, from that time began, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is an example of self-differentiation from Jesus. He stands up and says, let me tell you what's going to happen to his closest followers. He says, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They are going to kill me. I'm going to be crucified. They're, they're, they're all going to come after me, and I'm going to die there in Jerusalem. He's telling his closest followers. That is rather predictive, right? Like, you're like, wow, he, he's really... But imagine if you're, if you're his crew, and you roll with him for a couple years, and that's what he says. You're like, what? You're going to... No, we, it's just getting good. Like, we are... It is happening. Like, you are... Jesus, you're changing the world. You're not going to... You're not going to go die. That's ridiculous. But Jesus is very like, this is who I am, and this is what's going to happen, and this is why. Like, he, he goes into that. Well, his disciples didn't necessarily love what he was saying. In particular, Peter, listen to this. Next verse. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
That's a little harsh, don't you think? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know the tone. I don't know, if you, I don't know if you can say, get behind me, Satan, with a smile. I don't think, <laughs> I don't know. It seems a little sharp uh, to, to say that. And, and I think we could all put ourselves in, in, in Peter's place here, right? Like, your guy, you're, you're going to him and being like, wait, you're going to go die in Jerusalem? Nope. King, we got your back, me and my boys. We're going to, we got swords or whatever that they had, you know, we got, so we're going to, we have got you. This is not going to happen. Don't you worry about it. I know you think you're going to die in Jerusalem. Don't you worry about it. We got this. And Jesus sees a hindrance to who he is and what is going on. He goes, no, no, get behind me. That's not how this is going to go. And he even tells Peter, look, uh, your mind is not right. You are thinking the things of man, not of God. You're not understanding the mission of why I'm here. You're not understanding God's plan. Which is weird. One lesson I take from that is well-meaning people can do the wrong thing. And they can do it under the, I was just trying to help. Or I meant, I meant well. Or I meant for the best or whatever. Like we've all seen that, right? In, in society-wide and relationships that you have, sometimes people come at you with their agenda. And it looks like they're trying to help yours. It looks like they're in your corner. But they're not necessarily in your corner. They're just doing their thing. Um, and, and, and we have to understand that. Um, it seems pretty harsh, the, the response. Um, but this is what happens. When you take a stand like Jesus does, there's a good chance people are going to push back on you. The, the, this is called sabotage. It's, we will spend a whole week next Sunday, talk, we're going to spend the whole message next Sunday talking about this, about the idea of sabotage. But I just want you to notice for now that Peter pushes back on what Jesus, the stand that Jesus takes. Peter pushes back, and I want you to see where the relationship goes. Um, after this sharp rebuke, they end up going to Jerusalem. And it is sharp, right? Like if this happened in modern day, they would have got HR involved for, for that kind of violation. Um, Peter would be in counseling. Jesus told me I'm Satan. I mean, can you imagine the creator of the universe saying that to you? Um, after this, they go to Jerusalem. Jesus is, as he said he would be, and as he needed to be, he was crucified for our sins. He dies there on the cross. His friends witness this, and they start to distance themselves from him. Peter, in particular, uh, struggles with his guy is dying, and three times on the night that Jesus being tried, three times Peter re, uh, rejects even knowing Jesus. He denies that he even knows Jesus. So the one guy who's like, we're going to never let this happen to you. We're going to die for you. You know, that guy, he, once the pressure was on, he was like, I don't even know Jesus. I mean, Jesus never heard of him. Like, you know, he kind of goes, goes there and denies Jesus three times. And then Jesus dies. Um, and that's just got to be so weird um, for, for the disciples, so painful to see the guy they had following, they, they had all these hopes and dreams and expectations of him, and then it all seems to come crashing down. Well, Jesus comes back from the dead, and I want you to see what happens there, because after this, Jesus doesn't, Jesus took a stand and he sharply rebuked Peter, but he doesn't leave it there. He comes back with what I would argue is some, some good emotional connection. He stood up and said, this is who I am, but he comes back. Uh, not leaving it there because that kind of, this is who I am and I don't care what you think, that can lead to loneliness and, and, and anxiety and that can lead to, uh, you know, just being isolated from people. But he comes back and he moves towards the very people who had cut him off and the very people he had sharply rebuked. Um, he, he, let, let, me, let me show you. In John 21, chapter, uh, chapter 21, verse 1, it says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, 
There's our guy Peter. Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. It's very specific. It's telling us what happened, who was there. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. All right, so sometime later, after the crucifixion, the disciples don't know what to do. They leave Jerusalem. They head back to home, uh, and, and it's hard. They're anxious. It has been a rough thing, and, and, and Jesus has separated from them, and they saw him die, and then there's the resurrection. They don't know what to make of all that. Um, but it, it, it's a hard time. And you've got to imagine for Peter, this is, this is, he remembers that, hey, uh, last time before Jesus died, I denied him. Like Jesus, I, the one he called, get behind me, Satan. Like Jesus, Peter's got to wrestle with all of that. And, and what men do when they need to wrestle is they emotionally or think it out, they go fishing, I guess. So they're like, guys, let's just, let's fish. Because it's not like there's any fishing happening. It's mostly just thinking, right? So uh, at least that's my experience of fishing. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Um, so they, they go out there and they, and, they, and they fish. And while they're there, Jesus comes to them and he reaches out to them and, and calls to them. And then, I'm not going to read all to you, but he tells them, no, no, cast your nets over here. They cast their nets. They get a whole bunch of fish after they've been fishing all night and it wasn't working. It finally does work. And then they have this realization, oh, this is Jesus. He's done this to us before. Peter gets all excited, jumps out of the boat, swims to Jesus, all happy to see him. And then Jesus and Peter have this exchange, uh, chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? I mean, at some point, you're like, I just said that I do. <laughs> and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. This is, and scholars and various people, commentators on the Bible have all pointed this out. This is Jesus sort of reaching back out to Peter and, and connecting with him again and, and, and reinstating him and saying, hey, feed my sheep. There, there are, there's, there's a next generation of disciples to be made. There's a next generation of leadership needed. And, I, and I'm handing this to you and, and asking you to step into this. And it, it, is, it is remarkable that he does this. Peter has shown himself to be a hothead, who's impulsive, who puts his foot in his mouth. Sometimes his instincts are quite bad. But Jesus reaches out to him. And, and I just, man, I hope that's in some way relatable to you. You may not be a hothead, but, but all of us have messed up. And Jesus still wants you on the team. He's still like, oh, no, no, I'm going I'm to move towards you. Even though you've done these stupid things and you've, you've said things you shouldn't say, you have sinned, you have fallen short, all of us are that way, and Jesus moves to, towards us and makes space for us. He welcomes Peter back despite all his flaws, which is good news that, that God actually welcomes back imperfect people because that's, that's all of us. The reason they call it amazing grace is it is amazing that any of, any of us are, are allowed in. It is amazing that God's love reaches everyone in, in the room. And, and some, of you, some of you know this. Some of, if, if we could tell your story right now, some of you are like, I was a hot mess, and somehow God let me be, be here, and God intervened in my life. 
So I want you to notice the emotional connection here. Jesus is highly self-differentiated. I would argue the most self-differentiated person who ever lived. He's highly, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Um, but he comes back to Peter with emotional connection and, and, and communicates some things to him and, and builds a relationship. He doesn't just sharply cut Peter off and then just leave it there. So how does he do it? A couple things and then we're done. Number one, I would, I would argue for this. Initiate connection, especially after taking a stand. Initiate connection, especially after taking a stand. There's moments where we will draw a line in our lives and we will say, this is what I need to do. Maybe, you know, young adults, we sort of go like, um, when, when you're a young adult, you sort of go, mom, dad, I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving. I'm going home with my girlfriend, spouse, fiance. We're going to do this other thing. And you know that's going to be hard for mom and dad. And so you draw that line. You go, this is what I need to do for family and, and whatever. And so that, that's hard. You take a stand. Um, sometimes we, 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 uh, we do that. Um, but it's important, even after doing any stand that we want to take emotionally with others, uh, it's important that we, we follow that up with, with connection. You see this in Jesus. His disciples go fishing, and he comes to them, uh, even though he had taken a hard stand and, and done some, some challenging things to them, he still comes back to, to them. Uh, my experience is... Um, when we take a hard stand, emotional stand with other people and say, this is who I am, we know that it's hard. And so what we do is, ooh, I drew a sharp line there. Now I'm going to withdraw. Now I'm going to step away because mm, I know that was hard and that was awkward for all of us, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull away. But what I want to suggest is that, okay, but after you give it a little bit of time, we need to come back to that person. This is what Jesus did. Um, and I'm sure that was... This was hard for the disciples to be where they were, but Jesus initiated connection. So what does that look like for us? Hey, I, it might look like, hey, I can't come at Thanksgiving, but can we get together in January? I want to come see you. Um, you know, hey, I can't join your book club, but I do want to get together soon and find out how things have been going. Can we grab coffee soon? And rather than just leave it at, let's, get, let's do that soon, which could just be another form of we're not really going to do that, maybe like put a date and a time on it. Like, no, I really want to get together to communicate to someone, hey, I really do want to connect with you, although I can't do the thing that, that, you, want, that you want me to do right now. I point all this out because um, the series is about how to be a non-anxious presence in a, in a culture that drives anxiety up and how a lot of us are anxious and afraid. And I said at the beginning of this series, who knows what 2024 is going to bring. It's probably going to bring some anxiety-inducing events. Um, but if you take a non-anxious stand and you don't have commo- emotional connection, that will drive your anxiety up. If you don't take these steps, your anxiety will go up because you may stand where you stand but you will know that the relationships that you have are damaged and there will be a low-level anxiety that will follow you around. And, and to not initiate emotional connection after taking a stand is easy to do. It is easy to ignore what just happened. It's much harder to go back and go, all right, I need to, I need to do the work here. The healthiest thing you can do is maybe give some space but then initiate emotional connection. I think this, is, this shows up all over. It shows up in marriage. Um, what I have discovered in 25 years of being married is that um, you, you definitely want to give space, right? Um, you, you want to give space because sometimes the other person needs space to process something. So you want to give some space, but you want to follow that up with emotional connection. And there are times 
uh, where where Abby may want me to be something that I'm not, and I may want her to be something that she's not, and we've we've had, we have to say to each other, no, no, this is where I'm, this is where I need to be. Now, I don't want to do that all the time. I don't want to I I don't want to be the guy who like never bends towards what she wants me to be or or anything like that. Like you, you got to be careful with that. But there are times that you have to say, no, this is what this is what I need as a, as a healthy individual. You know, this is where I need to stand. And you can't give. Uh, too much space, but you got to give some space, right? You got, and so it's important to follow that up, even when you make a stand in relationships. Follow it up with uh, connection. So, number one, initiate connection, especially after taking a stand. Number two, communicate love. Communicate love. This is subtle, but if you remember the beginning of this, when Jesus shows up at the the lake, he calls out to them, and and you remember what he called them? What the word he used for them? He said, "Children." It's kind of weird for grown adults, right? Like, I, they're young adults, but still, like, it's weird, right? I, I went back and looked at that, and in, in, the, in, in the Greek for that, it, it is, it's using a term you could translate as children, but it's a very affectionate term. It would be, it would be I, I suppose, if they were all British, which if you've seen old movies about Jesus, they're all British. Uh, it, it, would be, it would be like Jesus showing up and being like, lads, let's go, you know? Like some term like that is the term he uses when he shows up with them. And it is, a, it is an affectionate term. Come on, the fellas, I'm getting the gang together, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, that's what Jesus does. He's, he's communicating love and relationship to them. And, and even in his interaction with, with Peter, there's, there's some love and care there. Now, we, now, to communicate love, we need to do this with wisdom. If you've not done any work on or read any of the five love languages stuff, maybe start there. There are five of them. If I try to list them all off the top of my head, I'll forget one. So I'm just going to tell you there's different ways that we communicate love. And um, the, the, the key idea there is there are ways we communicate love and there are ways that we all feel loved. And if you try to communicate love in a way that I don't feel love, it's not going to show up like love for me. I won't get it and vice versa, right? So we need to be wise as we approach people, but we need to do the work to communicate love, to, to go... All right, we took a stand here, but also I, I do love you, and I'm and I'm trying to be in relationship with you. And so, take a, initiate connection after taking a stand. Secondly, communicate love, and then finally, this give the other person some space. Now, this, let me hold this intention with the number one. Point number one was initiate connection. Point number three is give the other person some space. And you're sitting there going, which is it? And I would say you have to do both. You have to do both. You have to, you have to give, some, give some space even after you have drawn a line and said, this is the way it, it, it needs to be. Okay, now I've initiated, I'm going to give you some space to deal with that. Now I've initiated love and communication and emotional connection, and I'm going to give some space there as well. I don't know how long it exactly was from the crucifixion where, where Peter denies knowing Jesus to this breakfast that they have on the beach, um, but there was some time there. There was time, there was some space for Peter to get it into his head, like, what just happened? Where, where did Jesus and I stand? Like, there, there's, there's some space there. And he had to sit with his denial. He goes out fishing to think. Um, there's some space. And, and the point I want you to see is Jesus does not relentlessly pursue. He doesn't pester. He's patient in his pursuit. He, he makes a move. And then he gives space. He doesn't drive it. This has to happen right now. Um, he gives some space. And, and if you're in relationships, you know, you've seen that. 
oftentimes in a, in a marriage, you'll have one person who needs space and one person who wants to just drive and fix it and do it right now. And those people are usually married to each other. And it's a, it, is a, it is a tension that you have to manage of you need space, I need to resolve this because I want the anxiety to go away. And you're like, I need space so I can deal with the anxiety. And like it, it's a challenging thing. But I think using Jesus as a model, we, we initiate connection, we show love, and then we give some space and learn to be okay with, with, that, with that space hanging out there. This is challenging because I, I, want, I, I think I'm a, a bit of a fixer. I want it to go a certain way. I want it to be right and to be handled and to move on. And that doesn't always work. Um, and, and so we have to learn how to grow in this. I, I probably, I, I would say the scripture in the New Testament that I, I personally probably quote more than any is Romans twelve eighteen. It has really stuck with me. Let me put it up on the screen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. So Paul is telling the church in Rome, hey, we should be people of peace. This is, this is being non-anxious, right? Don't freak out. Just live at peace with everybody. But I love the little disclaimer in there, as far as it depends on you, which tells me that it doesn't always depend on me to live at peace with everyone. Do your bit. Self-define, self-differentiate, say this is where I stand and I'm going to reach out to you, but it doesn't mean it always depends on you, right? If you're going to say this is where I stand, you have to allow people the freedom to say, for them to say this is where I stand. They get to self-differentiate too. It's not just your thing, right? So live at peace with everyone. That's That's the challenge from Paul, but recognize that it doesn't always depend on on you. Um, To be a non-anxious presence, do what, do what he says there. Um, offer the olive branch. Offer peace and recognize it doesn't always depend on you and that can be a very painful thing. Um, but I think this is the way forward. We have to do the work to under, understand ourselves well and to, and to be able to stand and articulate this is where I am, this is who I am. We have to do a lot of work to, to, to feel comfortable doing that. But once we, we do that, we need to offer emotional connection um, with, with another person and, and then let the chips fall where they may. This is the pattern we see in Jesus. Um, he takes a stand, he offers emotional connection, and he gives people freedom to decide how they want to show up. Um, I think this is the only way to be non-anxious because the, the alternative to defining yourself is to let other people define you. And that's not, that's, that's going to drive anxiety as well. So that, that's a challenge. Um, but if you decide to then just cut off all other people, that will also drive anxiety up, and that's a challenge also. So I think we need to find that, that space in between. So my question is um, for you to think about, where are you running from emotional connection because you took a stand and it's just challenging and, it's, and it hurts to think about following up? Where are you running from that conversation? Or maybe where have you taken a stand but you have not yet communicated love to a person? Or even um, where have you communicated love but now maybe this is the moment to give them a little bit of space? Uh, where, where are those hitting you this week? So that's, that's emotional connection. Next week we will talk about sabotage because when you take a stand and even when you connect emotionally, 
you are changing the game for people around you in some ways, and they don't often like it and may come after you for doing it, which also drives anxiety up. So we need to talk about how to handle that to wrap this series up. Let's pray. God, in, in such an incredible example of emotional connection, we, we read in, in John 3 that you so loved the world that you sent your son. You, you loved us and you showed up. You did not uh, love us from afar, but you came to earth to be with us. And we celebrate that at Christmas, but really we just celebrate that all year long, Lord, that uh, you do not leave us on our own. You do not leave us in our pain on our own, but you walk with us through all of it. So God, um, may we take Jesus as a model here of how we can stand uh, on, on our own, in, in a sense, but also remain connected and interdependent with the people that we, that we know and love, and, and most importantly, to remain connected to you and following after you. Uh, God, give us the courage to do that, because this stuff is hard. Um, it, is, it is no joke when you get into it to try to, to work through how to do this well, but, but help us, Lord, to um, be wise, to be loving, to be patient. God, I know there are people in here that uh, are disconnected from people that they love. Um, and maybe the, maybe the next move is to, to initiate some connection and show love. Maybe the next move is to give space. Um, God, help us to be wise with that and know, know the next right step. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.